Bible, you can uh, open your app or the physical Bible and turn to Ezra uh, chapter 3. And uh, we're going to be reading that. But before we do, I'd like to welcome you to March 2022. How wild is that? Maybe you don't feel sort of shocked by the fact that it's mid-March already, but it's mid-March already. Where has the last two and a half months gone? Where have they gone? It's about this time of the year. Uh, it's, it's my wife's birthday uh, tomorrow, and then it's my son's birthday the day after. So it's about this. Birthdays, I think, are a good time for reflection, partly because <laughs> my birthday, I have a, regularly I have the birthday blues. I don't en- haven't enjoyed my birthday for a long time. This last year is probably the first time I enjoyed it for ages. Um, because of a number of things that occurred on my birthday when I was growing up, sort of 18, 19 uh, years of age. Um, they just made me think a bit, feel a bit reflective. But it's a good thing to be reflective. And I think that's not, that's not actually March's calendar. I had to write March over the top of it. It's February, so if the dates don't look right, <laughs> if you're confused. You're going wild there, I know. Um, <laughs> fake news again. Don't believe everything you see that's posted on a, a picture. Um, Abraham Lincoln said that, didn't he? Don't believe everything you see on the internet. Um, but it's March already, isn't it? And this is a good time, I think, you're a quarter of the way through the year. What's God teaching me? You know, what did I set out to do at the start of the year? Anyone still sticking up with a resolution that they made? Two? Any more? Resolutions? Kemper, you, you must be doing something. Yeah, yeah. He's so casual about it. Some people are sticking it. Yeah, some people have stuck to their resolutions. Well done. Who made like a resolution or said, this year I'm going to do this, and you haven't stuck to it? Am I going to be the only one who's honest in here? No one makes New Year's resolutions or says, this year is going to be the... Maybe, I mean, resolution might be too strong a word. A, a New Year's intention, perhaps, did you have? Okay, well, maybe, you know... You can all pray for me. But it's good to reflect on these things and go, actually, if I haven't kept up with it, why not? If I I haven't got to where I wanted to be at this point, why not? A few years ago, I set myself a a target to run. You know, I just kind of got into running. I said, I want to run a 5K in under a particular time. By March, I beat that time, and then I basically didn't run for the rest of the year. So it's important to reflect on our targets and go, or what we're aiming for, and go, actually, I'm going to readjust that. I need to make it harder. I need to make it easier or more realistic. It's good to reflect on those things. And particularly the big questions of life. What am I here for? What is the purpose of my life? What am I aiming for? What is God's will for my life? What am I building my life around? There's a, a common phrase that says, you know, life is what happens while you're making plans. You know, but what are we building our lives around? What are we trying to structure our lives into? What kind of life do you want? We sing a song, don't we? I will build my life on your love. It is a firm foundation. It's a good thing to build your life on. What are you building your life on and around? We're going to read the whole of Ezra chapter 3, all 13 verses of it. So hopefully you can uh, 
stick with me while I do that. <coughs> Andy didn't read all of his verses last week. <laughs> he complained about it so much. I've got the lists, I've got the list. What a great job. I said to him afterwards, job for life. Anytime there's a list, you, you can preach on it, Andy. Just reuse the same sermon and you'll be golden. Uh, <laughs> Okay, Ezra chapter 3, this is the word of the Lord. When the seventh month came and the children of Israel were in the towns, the people gathered as one man to Jerusalem. Then arose Jeshua, the son of Josadak, uh, with his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, Shealtiel? Uh, with his kinsmen, and they built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. They set the altar in its place, for fear was on them because of the peoples of the lands, and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, burnt offerings morning and evening. And they kept the feast of booths, or tabernacles, as it is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings by number, according to the rule, as each day required. And after that, the regular burnt offerings, the offerings at the new moon, and all appointed feasts of the Lord, and the offerings of everyone who made a free will offering to the Lord." From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord. But the foundation of the temple was, of the Lord was not yet laid. So they gave money to the masons and the carpenters and food and drink and oil to the Sidonians and Tyrians to bring uh, cedar, and tree, cedar trees uh, from Lebanon to the sea to Joppa, according to the grant that they had from Cyrus, king of Persia. Now in the second year after their coming to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, in the second month, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, made a beginning, together with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests and the Levites, and all who had come to Jerusalem from the captivity. They appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to supervise the work of the house of the Lord. And Jeshua with his sons and his brothers, and Cadmiel with his sons and the sons of Judah, together supervised the workmen in the house of God, along with the sons of Henadad, uh, and the Levites, their sons and brothers. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple the, of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers, uh, the fathers' house, houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they sound the saw the foundation of this house being laid. Though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish between the joyful shouts and the sound of people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away." I wonder what would be your first priority. Imagine this, you've been in exile. Perhaps you were born in exile and you, you only knew rumors of what it was like in the old country. When you got back, what would be your first priority? What would be the first thing that you said, okay, this is what we're going to do. We need to get a school system up and running. We need to get... A Costa coffee. We need to get Costa and McDonald's on alternating corners and then we're good. Would you 
you know, there's only 50,000 of them. Would you keep everyone together or would you let them scatter about? Would you, you know, you've been tasked to rebuild the temple. Okay, well, you know, we're going to rebuild the temple. But the first thing we should do is like rebuild the city and then the resources from the city, you know, there'll be a thriving culture and, and there will be like little shops and markets and all that kind of stuff. And then we can use the, the, sort of the profits from that to rebuild the temple. That's what we'll do. What would be your first priority? If you had to rebuild a city and a nation, what would you do? When the temple was first built, you can go back and read that story. David, you know, wants to build a temple for God. God says, no, actually, it's not going to be you. It's going to be your son. And Solomon gets to build the temple. Israel, the nation, it's in the ascendancy. It's like, wow, everything's pretty great here. People are coming from all around the world to meet with Solomon. He's like so wise. This is the guy who builds the temple. They've got resources. They've got the, you know, we're in a strong position. We're not fearful of other nations because we're, we're settled. Hey, big man. <laughs> um, What do they do? What do they prioritize? Sorry, I'm distracted by my son. Um, <laughs> he's woken up. Thank you, Hannah. Um, what did they do? What did they prioritize when they got back from exile? In these verses, it says they gathered as one man. So they, they did go back to their own, maybe their old towns. Oh, that, you know, I've got some cousins who didn't get exiled. I'm going to go and visit them. But after a few months, they gather together as one man. And they rebuild the altar. Is that the first thing that you would want to do? Is that what you would prioritize? Rebuilding the altar. And then start sacrificing. Then they begin, like about 18 months later, they begin to rebuild the temple. Then they uh, all praise God together. They restarted, they focused on restarting the mechanism and patterns of worship and devotion to God. That was their first priority. And we're looking at this, when we look at these verses, these stories, we need to read them and, and learn from them and learn from them in the context of, of ourselves. We're, we're coming back in many ways as exiles to being together as the people of God. So what are we focusing on? What, do we, what can we learn from them? As I said, they rebuilt the altar. They rebuilt the mechanism and pattern of, pattern of worship. And why did they do that? Do you know how long it takes to change culture in a group of people? Any, anyone done any reading on that kind of stuff? 100 years? 100 years? Yeah. It, it, if you want to... Say in this church, if we, said we want to try and be more like this, from the day that we decided and started doing it, it would take at least five years for us to see any change. If you want to see like the, a nation's culture change, that's just this little group of people. A whole nation, we're talking decades to really see significant change. Unless there's an event or what's called an artifact, an object that gets put in. So... For example, people that went to Woodstock, 
you know, that was a, an event, would take something of that away with them and would influence the people that they came across. So culture would be changed by that event. The most significant event probably of the last, well, I'm showing my age now, 20-odd years, what do you think it is that's changed global culture? COVID, yeah. COVID, I mean, that's, a, that's sort of first one. one. Well, at least one of them. It's in the top five, if it's not the top. The iPhone. Who has a, a smartphone in this room? Okay. That is just completely different to everyone else who's lived in the, sort of the preceding thousands of years of the human race. A guy called Steve Jobs bullies some people into inventing it. <laughs> <laughs> his staff, I mean, manages his staff to invent it. And suddenly, it might not be an iPhone, but everyone has a smartphone. It's a music player, internet access, phone calls, text messages. Who made a phone call on their phone this week? Oh, that's not bad. That's not bad. Probably half the people. I made a couple of phone calls this week. I don't remember the last time I made a phone call. Like, it's, it's not, it's, it's changed the whole world, sending messages. You, and, you know, you make phone calls, but what did they do? They built the altar. They built the altar because it was, it's made a statement. This is who we are. This is what we're about. The altar was the mechanism for their expression of devotion and thankfulness to God. It was the, the, the place that their sin could be covered. There's not been an altar for like at least 70 years since, since they were exiled and the, the temple was put into ruins. So some of these people, they know the stories of Moses, they know the law, they know the only way to atone for my sin is to, to, to sacrifice something in my place to pay that price. But I can't do it because there's, I can't go to the temple, I can't go to the altar, I can't sacrifice. Uh, Ezra 3 verse 3 says, uh, they set the altar in its place for fear was on them because of the peoples of the lands and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, burnt offerings morning and evening. They knew their first priority was to get right with God. They just returned from living as a direct as a direct consequence of the judgment of God. They'd been exiled. Their people had been captured by another nation. They want. They knew they needed to be right with God. And so they rebuilt the altar to experience, to express devotion to God, to experience the cleansing, forgiveness of God for their sin. They knew they needed the protection of God. If Cyrus at this point had changed his mind and said, actually, you need to all come back. There's no city walls. There's no, no fortifications. He could just steamroll in dead easy. Take them back. But they understood that their sin had caused a barrier between them and God, and the way to resolve this was through sacrifice at the altar. I think if you're a Christian this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, 
We don't always get this right. I think we understand grace in some ways. We, we get that God has forgiven us. But I think sometimes we, we almost feel like, of course he's forgiven me. Do you know how great I am? Why wouldn't he forgive me? I'm like, I'm a pretty great guy. God would want to be in relationship with me. We're almost too comfortable with expecting God to forgive. That's the joy of being New Testament people, being new covenant people, people who get to live in the grace of God. That's the joy of that. But I think it's a symptom also of like our culture has downgraded sin. Sin is an ice cream, you know, the magnum seven deadly sins, you know, or it's treats on a diet scheme. How many sins are used up? Slimming World, I think, is the one. Um, don't say anything. Um, <laughs> but sin has been downgraded in our culture. You know, children aren't badly behaved. They're a bit cheeky. My children are badly behaved sometimes. Just put it out there. If you're a parent, your children are too. Sorry to shatter the illusion. When you have a child, a baby, from so young, they're so badly behaved. Tantrums at like this size, you think, good grief. And then they come over and they fall asleep on your shoulder in the service and you think, oh, okay. You're all right, really. Um, But sin has been downgraded in our culture and we need to understand the gravity and the weight of it. They established, first of all, the mechanism for restoring relationship with God, for restoring worship to God. But they didn't just do one sacrifice and move on. They didn't just go, whatever you do with the sacrifice, you know, you read some of that stuff, sprinkling the blood over everyone. It's a good job we don't do that anymore. That would offend some people, wouldn't it? Um, but there's loads of sacrifices going on. We just look at those verses again. I'm like, if, if you think that I'm talking fast, I'm motoring because we've got limited amount of time and I want to try and get through. Uh, so if you'd miss anything, maybe you could go back and play the YouTube video on like 0.75 speed or something. Uh, but they put the altar in its place. Uh, it says this, uh, and they offered burnt offerings on it. They kept the Feast of Booths as it is written and offered the daily burnt offerings by number according uh, to the rule each day is required. And after that, the regular burnt offerings, offerings at the new moon, Offerings at all the appointed feasts. Offerings for everyone who made a free will offering. Offerings in the morning. Offerings in the evening. Lots of sacrificing going on. Now, what is this about? Is this just like, hey, we're having like the mother of all barbecues. Let's just get some meat on the table. No. What they've done, the leaders have said, we are part of a people. A people that stretches back generations. And this is how they worshipped God. So this is how we're going to worship God, because it links us to those people. Down through the ages, we're part of the people of God, because they did what we're doing what they did. And so they established this pattern of worship. I put a, you know, a thing of bricks up there. It's a background image of bricks, and I put some bricks on front of it. What are you doing, Aaron? But the idea is, you know, every Sunday that you come to church, so Steve said it this morning, if you came to church this morning, you won. If you signed on this morning, you won a victory. It might not be the best worship time or the best sermon or the best coffee that you've ever had, 
but you have put a brick in the wall of your life to say, this is what I do. Sunday morning is given to God. That's it. Okay, next week. And eventually you build the wall or the house of your life by these patterns. That's what they're doing here. Then we're going to put this brick in place and this brick in place. And our lives will be structured around how and when we worship God. Because that's our priority. How are you structuring your life? What is your routine and rhythm of life built around? Maybe there is no routine and it all just feels like chaos all of the time. If you look hard enough, there will be a pattern of some description. But the point is, it's very unusual for us to fall into good rhythms and good habits. As a, a younger man, well, just before Megan and I got married, um, I was living in our, what would be our flat on my own, I was sort of, well, with my brother. Um, and we were sort of, you know, trying to sort of tidy it up a bit because it was in a right state when, when Megan and I bought it. Um, so for like two months, maybe, my brother and I lived there. And sometimes for like my meals, <laughs> I'm not sure I should admit this, sometimes for my meals, I would microwave some corn. No, I love corn and I love corn and gravy. So I would make up a little sachet of gravy, I'd pour the gravy over the corn, and I would have like corn gravy soup for dinner. That would be my meal. Um, <laughs> now, oh, you know, I was, I was probably mid 20s, so I had no excuse. You don't drift into good habits. That is not a good meal to live on. That is not provide the sustenance that you need to survive. It was quite enjoyable, I, you know, my favorite part of Christmas dinner, bizarrely, is after I finished having a plate of corn and gravy. I love it. Um, but that's, you know, we don't slip into good habits and good discipline. It takes effort. It takes effort to cook a good meal, a healthy meal. What's being done here today, when you came here today, was you reordering your life. It's one of the steps in, I'm going to, reorder my life correctly today is the first day of the week sunday do you think about it like that does sunday morning get your best efforts or is it the last day of the week and you crawl towards it our whole life is geared up the sunday is the end of the week it used to be the first day Day by day, moment by moment, we're building our lives. We're building patterns into our lives. Now, the reality is, if you've crawled here, as I said, that's a massive win. That's a massive win, because it's good to be together. Create patterns in your life to worship God. So, they rebuilt the altar they sacrificed, they established the pattern routine of worship. And then they began to rebuild. Then they began to rebuild the temple and to praise God. It says this, When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, and to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsibly, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good and his steadfast love endures forever towards Israel. 
And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. This is the response, isn't it? After you've recognized, I'm right with God, because of sacrifices that have taken place, I'm right with God again. It's a response of worship. Oh, he's good. His steadfast love endures forever. I might have been, been weak in my love for him, but he's never been weak in his love for me. Their aim was to rebuild the place where they would experience the presence of God. Andy spoke about this last week, about experiencing the presence of God. It's vital that we under, understand the importance of that. We experience it now through the Spirit. I just felt this morning just that, that idea of being children of God. You know, the sense of God's presence. He's our Father. He loves us. He loves you. I don't know what your Father was like. But your Heavenly Father loves you with a steadfast love. We experience some of that through the Spirit now. But one day we'll experience it fully. We experience it in some way. We, we encounter God, don't we, when we, we're going to take communion later. First time probably in person for over two years. I say later. It'll be a couple of minutes. I'm going as fast as I can. <laughs> but we encounter God in some way when we, when we take communion. That's, and what we do is we link in with the historical church, with the disciples. Some people, some of them wept when they'd laid the foundation of the temple. The Ecclesiastes 7.10 says, Do not say, why are the old days better than these? For it's not from wisdom that you ask that. Generally speaking, the, the consensus seems to be that some of them were upset because this temple wasn't as good as the old temple. And they could see that from the way the foundation had been laid. Already they could see this isn't going to be as good, and they were upset about it. And I was sort of reading some stuff around this, and I just thought there's just a helpful little challenge here Celebrate what God is doing today. Now, that's not saying settle for less. You know, you might have been part of a church or part of something some, in some meeting where it was fantastic. You think, oh God, I want to get back to that. Great. Pray for that. But don't miss out on what God's doing today. And don't not celebrate what God is doing today because of what was and how good it was. Does that make sense? Okay. So how do we do this? How do we imitate what they did? Prioritize relationship with God and worship. What does it mean when we're considering these big lives, big questions of life? What is my purpose? What am I here for? What is God trying to do in me? What is the aim of my life? Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, or in view of God's mercy, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, so that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We offer a living sacrifice. Your life lived for God. 
I always think a living sacrifice, that's, that's difficult. You kill a sacrifice, a dead sacrifice. Once it's dead, it's not making any fuss about it. It's dead. That's it. A sacrifice is done. A living sacrifice, that's hard. Oh, this is painful. Maybe I'll just get off the altar. We're living sacrifices. That means living in difficulty, in pain in some way. And it's in view of God's mercy. Because of what Jesus did, because of how gracious and merciful he's been, we give ourselves to him. There's no higher calling or purpose in life than to worship God. And that, I do mean singing on a Sunday. That is part of it. Don't just mean that. And I think we live in a time where actually we kind of have got that our whole life is worship. We kind of get that, don't we? I think if you've been around church for a while, you get that it's not just, I want to be in the band so I can be a worshipper. It's, oh, my whole life is worship. Waking up in the morning, going, oh, I'm going to serve you, God. You know, God, you, I think I said this before. Once I used to wake up in the morning and I was like, am I going to snooze? No, God is my master. Sleep is not my master. I'm going to get up and serve him. It's like, and I would genuinely have that dialogue in my head to get myself out of bed so that I could serve him well. It's a famous uh, part of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. says, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. The chief end of the human race is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Some people like Piper and uh, Chanda would say, maybe it's by enjoying him forever you glorify God. But uh, anyway. I just want to encourage you in that. I know I, I said I'm touching on time, but we, it is enjoyable to know God. To be invited into relationship with the triune God. To sort of get to somehow in some mysterious way, participate in, like, this is the, the relationship that exists within the Trinity, the Spirit in us, the love that God has, the Father, God the Father has for the Son. We get to experience that sort of put onto us in some way. That should be enjoyable. If you had a good relationship with your parents or some authority figure in your life, when they lavished praise on you or when they looked at you and thought, just love you. You're just, I'm just so pleased with you. I'm so proud of you. That's how God the Father looks at us because of Jesus. We get to experience that through the Spirit. Do you, have you experienced that? That God is pleased with you? My son in whom I'm well pleased. That's what he says when he looks at you. It's my, it's my daughter. I'm so pleased with you. Do you experience that? That should be enjoyable for us, shouldn't it? And then we should go, I can't wait to sing a, a song about how great God is. We're far too easily pleased with little things. C.S. Lewis said, it's a big quote I was going to read, but I'll just read this short part. It says this, We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. We're like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because we cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We're far too easily pleased. Don't be easily pleased.
foundations and first things of the Christian life are the receiving and response to forgiveness. Saved by grace is a foundational thing. You can't earn God's favor. You can't, by some effort, undo the damage that you've done in your life. But you can receive mercy and grace and forgiveness and the blessing of the presence of the Spirit. And in response to that, we can offer a life lived in devotion to God as a, an act of worship moment by moment. So we're going to respond with, by taking communion, and we're going to do sort of, I want you to do this in a kind of three-part process. I, I hadn't sort of asked, you, is anyone happy to sort of just, I want to say dish out the communion, pass around the communion? You're right to do that, Steve. Yeah, okay. So we're all going to take communion together. And uh, <clears throat> also I want you to hold off on taking it. If you're not comfortable, there's like a, a basket of, of things that I cut up. I washed my hands beforehand. If with COVID you're still not comfortable taking a, a thing from a shared basket, that's fine. You can sort of let that pass you by. Um, there is a gluten-free option over there as well. Paul's, is he not in the room? But that's fine. Oh, okay. If, if anyone else is gluten-free, there is an option for you to do that, um, to, to eat that. But we're going to do this in, in kind of three stages. I want us to... Remember what Christ has done in creating a pathway to peace with God through his sacrificial death in our place. And then as you're doing that, if you know there's something, there's a sin in your life, just repent of it and receive mercy and forgiveness. Then I want you to, to focus. You can even do that now as it's being passed around. Just reflect on what Jesus has done, that his body was broken, that his blood was shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Spend a moment doing that. Reflect. There's sin in my life that I need to repent of. You can repent now to God. If you need to go and make restoration with someone, you can do that. Maybe you can do that afterwards. then I want you to ask God to fill you again with the Spirit. That through the Spirit, through this act of communion, you might experience and encounter Jesus Christ again. Have a fresh meeting with him. And after you've done that, remind yourself of our place in the grand narrative, the big picture of God's, of God's story. Remind yourself 
we are Passover people waiting to experience the exodus. In this moment, we are exiles returned from our scattering through the week to be together as one man to worship. We're joining with our brothers and sisters throughout the world today and throughout generations past in remembering what God has done, what Jesus did for us. Back to the church in Acts, back to the disciples when Jesus first shared this meal with the disciples. We're joining with them, remembering the death of our Lord and Savior and reminding ourselves of the future hope that we have when we will experience the fullness of the presence of God. That Revelation 21 moment where the dwelling place of God is with men. God is in the midst. There's no, don't have to be at a temple. You don't have to be in a special place. Don't have moments of, I feel connected, just feel dry. Actually, we're just in his presence. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice for us, for all that you have won for us. We remember that you took the bread and broke it, said, this is my body broken for you. And we eat now. We eat to participate in you. Remember that you took the cup. You said, this is the blood, this is my blood, the new covenant shed for us for the cleansing of our sins. We drink to say, we remember you. We want you to cover our sin, forgive us. We drink. Father God, I thank you for your presence with us this morning. I thank you that we are part of your bride, your church. Lord, bless all those this morning who, wherever they are, are participating in the body of Christ. Bless us as we go. In Jesus' name.